Welcome to the GMAT Strategy Podcast. You're here because you believe there's a better way to study for the GMAT, and so do I. I created the GMAT Strategy to maximize your results and minimize your efforts so you can get to the fun parts about business school and life as quickly as possible. My name is Isaac Puglia, and I've been teaching GMAT classes and tutoring privately for the GMAT for over six years, and I personally have achieved a 99th percentile score on an official GMAT exam and helped hundreds of students get into the business schools of their choice. I'm excited to be a part of your MBA journey since I think the world can benefit from the best possible business leaders that we can find. And if this show is bringing you value, please share it with your friends and family who are studying for the GMAT so that together we can make this process as easy and painless for as many people as we possibly can. Let's go. Today, we're going to give everyone a study plan. It's not going to be super technical and super robust because, first of all, that's not necessary when you're studying for the GMAT. And it's impossible to make perfect general recommendations because different people's situations are going to be different. But there are some general recommendations that I can give. And this is just a question that I see so frequently. It's frequently asked to me directly. Every few days on the forums, I see someone asking for a study plan or the best way to study for the GMAT. I've already covered a lot of this in the early episodes of this podcast, so I'm going to refer to those here and there, but I'm also going to remind you of a few things that if you listen to those episodes but haven't listened to them in a while might be good to be reminded of. So here we go. The first step is you want to take a diagnostic test, and a lot of people fear that, and there's a lot of good reason to fear that diagnostic test because it usually doesn't go that great. So let me just take all the stress out of it for you. It's probably not going to be very good. In fact, it's probably going to be horrible. So just accept that it's probably not going to be that good, but still try your best on it. Otherwise, it's not a valuable data point. Just completing a test when you weren't really trying that hard doesn't help you that much in terms of assessing your performance. If you're just going to do that, don't take a diagnostic test. Now, how do you diagnose your skills? Well, first, I get a lot of kickback from people because some people are like, well, shouldn't I learn some of the basics of the exam? And honestly, that's totally fine. If you want to spend one week, maybe two weeks, depending on how much study time you have, working through some of the foundational content, I recommend Manhattan Prep's Foundations of Math Book and Foundations of Verbal Books. Also, with a little bit of online research, you can find some information about the different formats of questions you'll see on the GMAT. There's also quite a bit of information on that in the early episodes of this podcast. But you'll want to know the difference between problem solving and data sufficiency questions on the quant side. Those are the two problem formats there. And you're going to want to know the difference between sentence correction, critical reasoning, and reading comp. So if you want to go check out some of those episodes before you take your test, that's fine. But I'm going to be going into super depth in those episodes, and you don't need to know all that stuff before you're diagnostic. So if you want a little bit of foundational knowledge, that's completely fine. I wouldn't wait more than one or two weeks. Otherwise, you're going to inflate your diagnostic diagnostic score, and that's going to make everything else a lot more difficult. What should you use to diagnose? Don't use the diagnostic test in the front of the official guide. It's completely different than the, the way the actual GMAT works. The actual GMAT's not a paper test. It's not scored based on accuracy. And that's not really going to give you an accurate enough read to shape your studies. Instead, you're going to want to go to mba.com and down... Uh, sorry, you don't download anymore. Uh, you're just going to take... You're going to register for an account. And they're going to give you free two, uh, two free practice tests. And you're going to take the first one as your diagnostic. 
that's going to use the real scoring algorithm. It's going to use real GMAT questions, and you'll have a very, very good idea of how big of an issue timing is for you, how many questions you missed that you knew how to do, what the content areas are that you need to work on, and where your score is. So once you get that diagnostic out of the way, if you need to vent emotionally because you're really worried, that's okay. <laughs> you can go on any of the forums or go on Reddit and just complain that it was really low and that you're really worried. And people will generally respond quite positively to that and, and help pick you up emotionally a little bit. Okay, so feel free to do that if you have to. But just know it doesn't really matter where you start. People ask me all the time, is there some theoretical upper limit to my GMAT score? And the honest answer is no. I don't believe in, in that at all. I think if you were to if you were to really focus on the GMAT for like three years or five years, basically anyone could learn to get a perfect score on the GMAT. Now, there's definitely a point of diminishing returns because most people aren't taking the GMAT just because they want to do something awesome. <laughs> They're taking the GMAT because they want to go to business school. So remember, it's just a means to an end. You're just trying to get a high enough score in most cases, and I think you should plan accordingly. So what do you do after you take your diagnostic? Well, there's a couple things that you want to think about. First is, how hard was the pacing of the exam for you? And it's, in, it's that's the really the most important question to ask. And it, it begs an important point, which is never take your diagnostic test untimed. That is a complete waste of time. And it's a complete waste of the diagnostic test. I see people do it a lot. People are afraid. It's totally okay to be afraid. You have to just take the test timed anyway, because the time constraint of the GMAT is an unbelievably big factor in the way your score is calculated. And if you're taking tests untimed, then you might as well just be doing practice questions out of the official guide because your scores are going to be totally meaningless as far as assessing your capacity and what you need to work on, which is the whole point of a diagnostic test. The whole point of the diagnostic test is not to score really high from the beginning. It's to figure out where you're good so that you spend less time on that when you're studying and where you need more work. So you spend more time on that, which is how you create the most efficient study plan Hence, leading off with the diagnostic test as basically the first step in your plan. Now, just note how difficult the pacing was, if you ran out of time early, how early, if you had extra time, how much extra time, and just keep track of that in a place that's easy for you to reference down the line. You're also going to want to count up how many questions you actually knew how to do but missed anyway because of something like a scratch work error or a bubbling error, like you knew the answer was C but you bubbled D by accident. Just count up how many of those there were. That's going to be important later. And then take note as you review the exam of some of the content areas that are tough for you and some of the content areas that are a little easier for you. It doesn't mean you're perfect at some content areas, but what are ones that are a little bit easier versus the other ones? And those can be really broad strokes, things like geometry versus equations versus word problems. And then even as large as just different question formats, like, oh, the sentence correction actually came pretty naturally, but the critical reasoning questions were super confusing. You just want to take the time to note that stuff on a note card that you can reference easily down the line. Next comes creating your plan. Now, it's basically impossible to create an intelligent plan unless you have some type of goal that you're going for. So what you're going to want to do is check out the schools that you want to go to and see what are the, the target scores in their medians. What, what's the median score for the school you want to go to and how far from that goal are you? Once you figure out how far you are from that goal, you're probably going to need about two hours of study for each one-point gain you want to make on your score. Now, that's assuming you're doing things well when you're studying and that your study time is reasonably optimized. If you want to cut that study time down, then that's exactly what 
my class is about. The GMAT strategy class is a class about how to manage the exam while you're taking it and how to manage your studies so that you spend as little time as possible and as little effort as possible to get the maximum result. I know that class is not going to be a fit for everybody, though. I just want you to know it's an option if you decide that's something that you want to try out. And there's a money-back guarantee if you decide you don't like the class. Now, from here, you're going to want to start to double down on some content knowledge. What you're going to want to do is think, do I need to know the math at all? If your math subscore is, let's say, 48, 49, or 50, you're probably in pretty good shape on the math. And you probably don't have to do a whole lot of study there, although every point counts. So I guess what I'll say is that you want to take a look at where your math subscore is and where your verbal subscore is. And take a look at some of the score calculator charts online. I'll link one in the description of this episode. Let me just make a note real quick. And figure out what kind of math score and what kind of verbal score you need in order to get the overall score that you're targeting for your your schools. Now, keep in mind, most business schools consider the MBA a quantitative heavy degree, and so your math score is usually going to drive your admission a little bit more than your verbal score. So let's say you're targeting the all-important 700 score. For most schools, you could hit a 700 with a really high verbal score and a low math score. It's just not going to help you get in that much. So a good tip there is you probably want at least a 45 if you're gunning for the top schools. Now, that's, that's 45 as the subscore, not 45 as the percentile score. So assuming you have to work on both areas, you're going to get some study materials for both areas. If you only have to work on one area, that's fantastic. You're super lucky. If your verbal score is already really high, then you can just focus on the math side. And I've made many recommendations about what I think the best materials are, but I'll just quickly rehash them here in case you haven't heard the first episode of this podcast or you've forgotten. If you're studying with books, I strongly recommend the Manhattan books. You can get a math uh, only, you can get a verbal only, or you can get the entire GMAT now. And I think if you need both sections, those are the best books. If you want to self-study, that's probably your best option. Now, if you can afford a digital class or you like a digital class, digital learning environment, then I think Target Test Prep is the best on the math side. I think Magoosh is reasonably good on the verbal side for, for content study. And then if you're not a native English speaker, I have heard that EGMAT is good on the verbal side. However, I don't have any personal experience with EGMAT, but it does come highly recommended if um, you're a non-native speaker or if English is uh, your second language, if you're an English language learner. So what do you do in the content phase? Well, I've already given a lot of recommendations on this, so definitely check out episodes one, two, and four of this podcast if you haven't already. But just so that you have a plan, you're probably going to want to spend about one week on each content area that you're going through. So, for example, if you're going to use the Manhattan Prep books, there's a book on fractions, decimals, and percents. That's the first math book. You probably want to spend about a week, maybe about, it depends on how many study hours you have, but let's say it's something like 10 hours a week. I'd probably spend about 10 hours on that book, going through the material, and aiming for just about 70% comprehension and retention of the material in that book because you're going to see all that stuff later when you get into the practice test phase, which we'll talk about in a second. From there, I would also recommend getting a copy of the official guide, and that goes for whether you're taking a digital class, an in-person class, or working with a private tutor, or working with books. Oh, I forgot. Uh, In-person classes, I recommend Manhattan. If you're in the San Francisco Bay Area, I recommend Test Crackers. That's testcrackers.org. You can take a class with me there if you like. 
And for private tutoring, I would definitely uh, just reach out to me if you're looking for a private tutor and I'll give you some recommendations. I, I don't have a blanket recommendation because it depends on where you are in the United States, but a quick Yelp search usually does a pretty good job netting you some GMAT tutors who are local. And you can also post on Reddit if you're looking for online tutoring if you can't find anyone in your immediate area. But there's a lot of really qualified, really awesome tutors who you can find online relatively easily. So if you're really not sure who to go with, just let me know and I'll do my best to help you out and give you a referral. You can connect with me relatively easily on Instagram at the GMAT strategy and slash the GMAT strategy on Reddit. Both places, it's relatively easy to direct message me. Getting back to the study plan, um, if you're going through the books, you probably want about a week on each book. If you are going through your digital class, that's when you just want to grind on your digital class and you want to do the best job that you possibly can, follow the recommendations that they make there. If you're taking your in-person class, you go through the class, they teach you the stuff, you do the homework that they assign, and you just check those boxes. And again, you're just looking for around 70% retention from that phase. Now, I've given a lot of study recommendations already about how to optimize this phase of your prep, but again, I'll just rehash those real quick. So first thing is keep a list of what you wanna come back and do later. And good problems to come back and do later are just questions that are hard for you. Anything that's tricky, anything that seems like an important strategy that you don't think you wrapped your head around perfectly the first time, or if you did wrap your head around it perfectly the first time, you suspect that if you don't review it and practice it, that you'll forget it, and that's the case with most things. Now also as you're going through practice problems, you wanna make sure that you're focusing on good habits, which really just comes down to very, very clear scratch work. And again, check out episodes one, two, and four of this podcast if you want more detailed recommendations on that. As you're going through each segment of your class or each book, I'd recommend making some study sheets, some summary sheets for each topic and takeaways for each problem that you complete. What you wanna do is every time you sit down to study, you wanna make sure the first segment of your study is focused on review, testing yourself on stuff that you've learned recently. So that usually looks like doing some of the redo problems or some of the problems you've marked to redo later, and then testing yourself on those study sheets to make sure that you're actually building knowledge over time, not just exposing yourself to a bunch of things and then forgetting it. That's a great way to waste a bunch of study hours. You'll get much, much better results in 99.9999% of cases if you review every single time you study versus if you just review one day a week or if you just review, if you're like, oh, I'll just review the last week before my GMAT. I would not recommend either of those two strategies, okay? Try them at your own peril. Now, once you go through each content area, if you're taking a class, usually there'll be some problems assigned from the official guide, but if there aren't for any reason, then I would recommend finding some questions from the official guide that are focused on those topics and trying to apply at least some of the skills that you've learned. I would not recommend going through every single official guide question on each area as you go through. That's usually a waste of time, but you want to try to find, I would say, anywhere from three to 20, depending on how much time you have, to make sure that you understand how the skills that you just learned apply in a real GMAT problem. Now, if you're using the Manhattan books, which I recommended, you'll get access to a PDF through their online resources that splits out the entire official guide by topic area. So you'll be able to find where are all the rates and work data sufficiency questions in the official guide. They'll give you a list, which is a really, really nice resource and not the entire reason I recommend those books, but certainly one of the reasons. Now, if you're using those Manhattan Prep books, I'd strongly recommend using their GMAT Navigator tool as your answer explanations for the official guide questions because the official guide questions, the answer explanations tend to be pretty bad. 
and the GMAT Navigator is basically just a collection of much better answer options. Now you can purchase that separately if you're taking a different class. I think it's around $50 to buy on its own. But if you get the Manhattan Prep books and you're studying from those, you get free access to the GMAT Navigator, which is a big, big deal because it's, it makes studying from the official guide much, much easier in my opinion. Now, a lot of study plans out there I've seen recommend taking practice tests intermittently through this content building phase, this first phase of your preparation where you're just trying to figure out what all the stuff you need to know is. And in my opinion, I actually don't think you need to take practice tests during that phase. You certainly can if you want, but I don't recommend the like practice test a week methodology. I think you should save those for later because really the best reason to take a practice test is you're not sure what you need to work on. And if you haven't covered geometry, number properties, and sentence correction yet, you're going to take a practice test and you'll probably realize that you're not very good at those things. Hence the, the purpose of your diagnostic test. So you'll, you're probably telling yourself something you already know. So you're probably burning a valuable resource, which is a quality practice test. And you're burning about four hours that you could have just been using building your content knowledge and then applying that on a practice test later on. Now, I'm sure plenty of people have reasons to, to, take practice tests while you're studying the content stuff. And I'm not saying they're wrong. I'm just saying I don't recommend doing it. And that's why I don't recommend doing it. But if your instructor in your class or your tutor says, hey, I need you to take a practice test this week, then you should trust their recommendations. So once you've gone through the content building phase, if you only needed to learn the math, you learn the math. If you only needed to learn the verbal, you learn the verbal. If you need to do both, you learn both. And you apply that two hours for each one point gain on my score. Now, that's total study time, including practice tests. So I would say around 50%, 30 to 50% of that is going to go to the content knowledge phase, uh, knowledge building phase. And then the other 50% or so is going to go to the application phase, which is tr learning to apply this stuff and get credit on actual exams. And it's funny, the GMAT is really very unlike other tests in the sense that just knowing the material is usually not enough to get the target score that you want. Now, there are some exceptions to that, but in most cases, I would say at least 90% of cases, just knowing the material is not going to be enough to get a great score. So I can give you one heads up, which is your second practice test after the knowledge building phase is probably not going to be amazing either. And I'm giving you a lot of bad news about practice tests today, but it's, it's really important that you have your expectations calibrated because I think some people really feel fear the diagnostic test, uh, sometimes a warranted fear, sometimes unwarranted. And then people sort of overestimate how well their second practice test is going to go because it's like, oh, well, I learned all the stuff, so therefore I must be you know, way better and I'm going to see this leap in my score. A lot of people's second tests actually go down. Some people's tests don't change that much um, or don't change at all. So don't worry about that. The purpose of your second practice test is to reassess, okay, what did I gain from the content building phase and what do I still need to do on the content building phase? I wouldn't treat it as a like, is my score there yet kind of test. So that's, that'll help you stay motivated if the second test isn't amazing. So what do you do after you take that, that first diagnostic test after your content building phase? Well, what you want to do is you want to review the test in depth. You want to make sure you can explain every single question, why the right answers are right, why the wrong answers are wrong. And don't skip over that. Don't skip over that because every corner that you cut in your prep, everybody, that's every corner you cut, that's 10 points off the score that you're going to get on test day. And I said, this, I said this in last week's episode, but I'll say it again. You don't get your score on test day. You get your score in the practice room. That's where you build the skills that are going to get you a great performance on test day. So it's not like some magic genie is going to come bless you on the test. If you have that skill, great. GMAT prep's probably going to be pretty easy, but most of us don't. And so you want to make sure that you're being intelligent about the way you approach your preparation so that you don't just check a bunch of boxes, put in a bunch of study hours, but really in the back of your mind, you're just hoping it's going to work out. 
if getting a great GMAT score were easy, everybody would do it. There would be no the GMAT strategy. There would be literally no reason for me to be talking to you right now in this podcast. And so you want to just recognize, okay, this is probably going to be a big deal. It's going to be a bit of a battle internally and externally. And you want to approach the situation emotionally with the right sort of resilience in mind. So here's how you stay efficient between practice tests. I've mentioned this a little bit in earlier episodes, but I'll just go through it again since that's the whole point of this episode. You want to go through every single question and you want to track what are the areas that are going well for you and what are the areas that are going poorly. You can use a spreadsheet for this or if you're using the Manhattan Prep exams, which are, this is a good time to use those, especially if you have those books or if you're taking a different class, the Manhattan Prep exams are good because they have these really nice analysis features. And what I would do is I would run an assessment report on your first two exams, the diagnostic and the one you just took. And I would use that data in conjunction with the data you gathered from the most recent test review and pick one to three areas to focus on between tests. If you pick more than that, usually you're gonna spread yourself too thin. And if you try to learn everything in between each test, you usually end up learning nothing. So it's much better to focus on one to three areas and make sure you're mastering those in between practice tests instead of looking at the test and saying, oh my God, I need to be better at everything and then trying to do that. Just pick one to three areas between each test and then take another exam. You can hit the other six areas that you need to over the next two practice tests. Now, how do you get better at those areas? Well, you go back to the material that you used to study, you restudy that material, make sure you're, you're solid on that stuff, and then you go to the official guide and you find every official guide question that you can on those areas and you make sure you understand all of those official guide questions. You do them and you review them properly, making sure you can explain why the right answers are right and why the wrong answers are wrong. Now, you'll keep adding to your questions to redo list as you're going through this process and you want to make sure every single time you sit down to study, you're redoing those regularly. And again, check, check episodes one, two, and four if you want more recommendations on that. Now, if timing ends up being a really big issue for you in the what everyone should know about the quant section episode of the podcast, I don't know what episode number that is. I talk about a valuable time management strategy called the one, two, three roll. And I think I also talk about how to do time sets, but just so you have it here, Time sets are simple. You're just going to pick five or 10 sequential questions in the official guide and give yourself two minutes per question. And you're just going to treat it like a little miniature GMAT section there. And you're going to go through each question sequentially without checking your answer in between, treat it like a real test. And then you go back after the fact and do your review analysis. Why are the right answers right? Why are the wrong answers wrong? Now, a really good tip for those time sets that I don't usually give for free, but here we go, is make sure you have a focus area for that time set make sure you actually have an intent for that time set. What am I trying to work on here? Am I trying to work on speed? Am I trying to work on improving my scratch work technique? Am I trying to build a new habit that I need because my old habits are causing me to miss questions I know? You want to have a goal for each time set. That's really, really valuable. After you do that review and you've worked on your focused areas and you've improved them, then it's time to just repeat that process. You take a new practice test, you find you, you go through the entire test, every question right or wrong, you review, you make sure you can explain every single question to someone else who's studying for the GMAT. That's really, really important because just completing practice tests doesn't move your score. It's learning from practice tests is what moves your score. And then you do your analysis, you look at the assessment reports if you have them, you choose one to three areas to focus on, and you work on those areas between exams, and then you take the next practice test. 
Now, if you want a lot more guidance, like super, super specific, super tactical guidance in terms of how to develop these, these uh, focus areas, how to use the Manhattan Prep Assessment Reports, which a lot of people get confused about, if you want a lot of tactical guidance on that, I go through that super in-depth. I actually walk you through how I would do it with a tutoring student or for myself if I were self-assessing in the GMAT strategy class. Now, again, I know that's not for everybody, but if you, if you get in there and you're feeling a little overwhelmed, then you have an option for something you can do without having to reach out to a private tutor. You can get guidance on that stuff if you want it. Now, last recommendations here would be your, your initial practice tests after the knowledge building phase are probably going to be one to four weeks apart because depending on how much time you need to build your focus areas, you might be able to get through those in just a week if, you, if you're studying a lot, like if you're studying full time. Or for some of you who are either working a lot and so you only have maybe five or six study hours per week or maybe even less in some cases, or you just have a ton of work to do because your score is really low or you're just really, really struggling with certain content areas, then it's a much better idea to just wait on your next practice test rather than trying to force yourself into some practice test per week kind of routine. The whole idea behind this, this study plan is that it's flexible based on your timeline. So if you need to compress it, you can compress it. If you need to expand it, you can expand it. It's, that's why I like estimating based on total hours of study rather than weeks or months or days. So I would recommend you think about it the same way. So if you need 50 hours between your first uh, assessment practice test after your content building phase and your next practice uh, test because that's, that you need that time because you're just horrible at geometry, you don't know it at all, you completely glazed over it during your knowledge building phase and now you've got to go back and learn all of geometry, you should do that. You should definitely do that because you're going to need to know it eventually. And if you take the next practice test after that, it's just going to tell you you need to work on geometry more, okay? So just make sure you're being honest with yourself. That's always the key to success with, uh, with this kind of stuff, is just being as honest with yourself as you possibly can. Now, you're going to want to adjust that concept as you get closer to the actual exam. And I went into this in pretty major depth last week when I talked about test day and how to make your practice test as realistic as possible. So definitely listen to that before you start taking these, these practice tests in the practice test phase. But you're probably going to want to take at least two to three practice tests in a little closer succession as you get to closer to your actual GMAT day. And what I recommend there is one week apart, unless you're studying full time. And just to make sure that you're building stamina and getting used to just sitting there for four hours and taking the entire exam. You should do both sections, math and verbal, and you should do the essay and IR for sure on every practice test. But most especially if you had decided to skip over IR and essay for any of your previous tests, which I don't recommend, but I still realize some people do it, you really want to make sure you do those on your final practice test to make sure you get the stamina piece. And that's really, really important. Now, earlier in your prep, other than the first diagnostic test that you'll take from MBA.com, I recommend third-party exams, such as the Manhattan exams, because they tend to have better analysis features and better answer explanations than other than uh, official sources, but as you get closer to your test, you'll probably want to take the other free MBA.com test, and if you can afford it, a couple paid MBA.com exams as well, and then you'll want to save some of the paid MBA.com exams for after your first test, just in case you need to retake, and most people are going to need to take the GMAT two or three times, so just expect that the first test might not be amazing, do your absolute best, obviously you want to knock it out the first time you take it, but just in case that doesn't happen, you'll have some resources that you can use for a retake. 
So once it comes time to get into test day and your final week, I gave a ton of recommendations on that in last week's episode, but the sort of 80-20 on that, the, the basic summary is you want to create a game plan and just focus on executing that game plan on actual test day. And the game plan is just one to two pre-made decisions in each section, something you can focus on that you think is going to get you great results. So I realized that a lot of this stuff incorporates previous podcast episodes, and because I've gone into just such extreme depth on many of these topics previously, I felt that it would probably be a waste of time to re-go into that today. But I did also want to give people a, a structure so that you sort of know in the back of your mind what your overall prep is going to look like, and then give you some options for accelerating that if you want them. If you want this plan written out in a more bullet point type of form, I will link an Instagram post I did a few weeks back in the description of this episode so that you can see it written out in a 24-week format. Someone asked me for a 24-week study plan, and so I just broke it out. There's like some checkpoints and what seems realistic based on the study hours that, uh, that she had. As always, my greatest hope is that this material will make your studies as easy and as painless as they can possibly be. If you want more tips and strategies for optimizing your performance on the GMAT, just click the link in the description of this podcast and head to my website, thegmatstrategy.com, and check out my free video presentation on how to achieve your goal score in half the normal time and with half the normal effort. In the meantime, this is a weekly show, so please subscribe and stay positive and stay consistent with your studies. I'll talk to you soon.